Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Prog Notes. My name is Dustin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to Future Days by the band Can. Thank you all for tuning in here on Prog Notes. What we do or hope to do is to educate and hopefully inspire people to uncover and learn about this subgenre by listening and talking about albums from the Progressive Rock Archives. We both have a massive passion for progressive rock and we love to share it with others and for everyone who has been listening to all of our episodes we always want to say thank you and please subscribe so you can always be notified when we launch a new episode so uh future days by can is the fifth studio album released by can in august of 1973 this record only consists of four songs um kind of similar to the uh i guess it's kind of the opposite of 2112 on our first episode that we did drew where it's kind of we got one long song and a couple other shorter songs. Right. Except right. 2112 was the opening track in 2112 and Bel Air, which is the track that sits just under 20 minutes, takes up the entire side two of the album. So um, I guess it's similar structure, but either way, uh, can could be considered uh, experimental rock, psychedelic rock, progressive rock, avant-garde jazz, but most importantly, kraut rock, which we will talk a lot about on this episode. And the four members of this group, We'll go ahead and list their names here. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to try my best to do this. This is very German, so I'm going to try and give it my best shot here. So the members of this group include the bassist Holger Zukai, keyboardist Erman Schmidt, guitarist Michael Caroli, and drummer Jackie Libizite, or Liebezite. Uh I think that, yeah, I think that's how you pronounce that. On this, Also on this record, they also include their vocalist, Damo Suzuki. And so... Uh, little history about how Can was formed was uh, Can was formed in Cologne in 1968. Erman Schmidt and Holger Zukai were studying under German avant-garde composer Karl Heinz Stockhausen. And uh, around the same time, Holger had a, a guitar student named Michael Caroli, who was about 10 years younger than both of them. Schmidt and Holger were in their in their 30s, and Michael was barely 20, so he was very much into rock music, like Pink Floyd and the Beatles. They recruited Jackie Libizites, a drummer who came from a jazz background, and these were the core four members of Can. Uh, they originally called themselves Inner Space, but they settled on Can, and Jackie stated it stood for communism, anarchism, nihilism. And uh, in fact, I also I also saw a quote from uh, Damo Suzuki, their singer, stating that Can was referring to the idea that they can do this or can do that because they can. Um, <laughs> you like that, right? I did. That delivery yeah, was, was phenomenal. I appreciate that. I practiced that one before we uh, got on the air here. Oh, good. So yeah. Um, so they did. Two, so they did two albums with their first vocalist, Malcolm Mooney. And out after leaving, they picked up a street musician, which is Damo Suzuki, and then recorded three records together. The last one being Future Days in 1973. So, uh, so this music is definitely different, Drew, from most of what we listen to on the show. Um, I mentioned this is considered kraut rock. Um, what did you What did you find kraut rock to be? I did some research on this because I, I haven't really delved into this subgenre sub of the genre kind of thing. But it was definitely a prominent thing um, back in the seventies. So, what, what did what did you uh, what did you find kraut rock to be? Well. Um... Kind of what you had mentioned earlier with kind of experimental rock music. Yeah, that's uh, why I listed that. So I, I think that that's the best term. From what I understand, it was, you know, as 
the term, you know, Krautrock. It's it's German. It's a German thing. Yeah, it's totally German. Um, and I, I, from what I understand, it was a movement by uh, a lot of German musicians who wanted to make a new style of music. And this was right at around the time that progressive rock was burgeoning in the UK and in the States. Yeah. Um, so they, they had classical influences, at least candid, um, and kind of jazzy backgrounds as well. But, uh, they wanted to experiment and the brief research I did about, uh, about can, that they were intrigued by a lot of American music, but they didn't want to copy that. So they wanted to make something kind of new. So they didn't want to stay around the typical rock and roll of the one, four, five kind of blues structure. Right. Uh, Which was a lot what was going on at the time. I mean, we're in the early seventies and, you know, I mean, well, Beatlemania, you know, and right. all that stuff was, was going on around that time. So it's, it hasn't hit, it hasn't really hit that psychedelic stage i mean obviously this was the same year that like dark side of the moon came out so and that was a very psychedelic record but i don't think you know we haven't really hit that like psychedelic music is a thing yet you know what i mean yeah 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 yeah. um i part of the reason i think we're going to talk about it on this show today is because it is kind of on the periphery of progressive rock because yeah. uh, it kind of was, it was first off, it was around that time. It was around the same time. And um, it was, I think it was influenced by progressive rock, by some of the pioneers that had already come out and were doing new and unique things with music, uh, particularly, again, bands that we have already talked about in the UK, like Genesis and Emerson Lincoln Palmer um, and, uh, and King Crimson and all of that stuff. So um, it's, uh, you know, some, some, some people might not consider this prog rock. Well, what is it? It's kraut rock. It's don't think, or experimental rock. I mean, to be completely honest, when I hear it, I don't think prog rock. I think, yeah, I, didn't I think, think jam either. band, to be honest, I think either right. a jam band that, that jams on one kind of mood for a while, um, or, uh, uh, not jam band, but, or, or experimental uh, maybe psychedelic as well, because it just right. kind of gives you a kind of trippy feel. I mean, to be completely honest, this is the music that it sounds very, and I don't know, because I've actually never done this, but just from what I've consumed in media, it seems like it's very conducive to like a like circle, you know, sitting in a circle, smoking weed, getting high, talking about weird pseudo revelatory concepts. I mean... <laughs> That's, yeah, I can get I can get that vibe from it. That it just it just kind of seems like that '60s kind of counterculture flower child type of deal where we're all everything's cool. This is groovy. This is a very fluid song. Yeah, and it just keeps going and going. It's awesome, man. Um, that <laughs> yeah, that's just what I kind of hear <laughs> when I hear a lot of this album. To be honest, which I mean, to be honest, I like the music. Yeah, um, but uh, seems kind of psychedelic or jam band or whatever, rather than the typical progressive rock stuff that we've covered already on this show where it exhibits a lot of notes and it's a bit higher energy. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, but that that's, I'll get more into that later. But anyways, I just thought I should say why we want to cover it on, on 
prognos and, today. But even even for Can though, I actually saw and and listened to a couple of their other records, and uh, their earlier records were more were were more muscular, um, kind of like a Velvet Underground kind of thing. Right. Um, so th this album is sort of the outlier because it because it is pretty mellow. Um, so they I, I not to confuse this is what Can sounds like all the time like all the records don't sound like this they were this is actually the outlier i believe of of the albums that they did and uh and to go back to what you're saying with psychedelic music um krautrock was actually is normally referred as cosmic music which is that which was coined by the british press so um which i also think it was uh i think i think also called cosmisha as well which is like a, a progressive hmm. electronica kind of sound. It's super German, right? But it's got like moments of psychedelic rock, jazz, and, and minimal and, and stuff like that. Right. But I was I was really curious because the the I started looking at like bands that were considered krautrock, and I mean the it, krautrock has the word rock in it, so I was expecting a little bit more force behind some of the music that I heard. And it's, I really didn't get that at all. In fact, um, it was kind of the opposite, not really the opposite, but it was, it was a little bit more mellow than what I was expecting. And, um, right. you know, I found, and, and just to name a few that I found, they were, these were like bands like Kraftwerk um, or Noi, uh, Tangerine Dream. Those were the only three that I've actually heard of, but it's, but you, it's funny because you might've heard Kraftwerk and think like, this stuff doesn't sound anything like Kraftwerk, you know, but hmm. well, but for one, this is what makes Can so unique, I think, for its time, but also Can's impact of Krautrock and and their experimentation, I think, was a little bit more organic from the standpoint of writing music with acoustic instruments, combining elements of electronic instruments. Other like you know, other bands like Kraftwerk um, were like super uh, industrial and super uh, electronic. I mean, you know, they're just super electronic. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I think that's what separates Can from the other bands in that kraut rock phase is that I get they they were kind of the outlier because they combined elements of acoustic and electronic and they were highly experimental. Um, so it kind of set them apart from a lot of these other bands. They so, were um, is, they were very experimental. Oh yeah. I mean, you just listening tell. to this record, I'm just I'm hearing like all kinds of weird sounds and you know almost the like unnecessary vocals I, I, well never mind i'm not gonna say unnecessary that's a strong word but like almost impressionistic vocals you they're, know what i mean they're very i don't know how to say it. like yeah i mean no <laughs> yeah like, like i looked up the lyrics just because first off the vocals are very low in the oh lyrics. yeah that was one thing i noticed too is that like it it wasn't that everything is mixed the same level you know, there's not supposed to be one person that sticks out, which I think, which I have some quotes from the band that I'll get into about how the, their approach to music. But yeah, it's it's really interesting. It was difficult to to understand what what he was saying, uh, Damo Suzuki, about just anything. And I, I looked up the lyrics though to see if you know I could understand what he was trying to say. And yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I it, it seemed like gibberish to me. I mean, I, yeah. I don't mean to. I, I seriously don't mean to defame them or say that they didn't have any thought to their lyrics because maybe they did, but uh, it just I can't, I can't get anything out of it. Uh, it seems like it was very just hey spur of the moment, whatever comes to my head, 
you know, okay, future days will be this main refrain. So I'll sing that a couple of times. I mean, you know, so yeah, I mean, lyrically it, I, I can't, and high concept, I can't really get much out of it. Right. Um, but I, I will say, uh, one thing that's, I'm super impressed with on the record is, uh, the drumming. I think the drumming yes, is absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And it was, we were listening to, uh, on, on the, on the subject of the drummer, Jackie, um, he was like a top, one of the top drum, jazz drummers in Germany when, when they picked him up, but something I really, really enjoyed. And, and, and you know, in fact, I'm going to do, I'm going to play it. I'm going to fade this out real quick. I'm going to fade out future days for a second. I'm going to bring back moonshake because I want to give this example here, which moonshake is the track that we opened, uh, opened the episode with, but, the something that was very pop that was popularized in the, um, with Krautrock was something called the motoric rhythm, um, which was, it, it was coined with Krautrock. But it, basically, if you think of, if you think of the drummer, like what makes a human, what makes a drummer really, really good is the humanistic quality to it. You know, it's not the same volume, uh, you know, everything, it, it, it alternate, it changes, you know, the feel can change. It, it, rather than electronic music, it's harder to program dynamics. You know, right. it's, it's, it's mainly just all up front, you know, it had, yeah. but, but, and, but it's interesting because that motoric rhythm, that, which is what that's called is exactly the, the entire point of this thing. Check this out at the very beginning of this. There's no accents at all. It's just straight. That's the motoric rhythm. You know, so it's it's so there's like there's no accents or anything. It's just straight on that hi hat and hitting that snare, and um, which was which is cool because it's almost it's almost supposed to sound electronic, but it's still human. Um, yeah, which is funny but, because nowadays I think it's almost the reverse. Like everybody's trying to get their electronic drum sounds to sound acoustic. Sometimes you know what I mean, right? But yeah, the rhythm is is crucial throughout the entire piece. Yeah, um, it. Uh, it really does carry the entire song, I think, for almost yeah. all of the all of the pieces that I hear on here. Is I, yeah. I, am, I am instantly drawn towards the drums because it's the one that has the most structure. I think everything else is very ambient, and yeah. uh, the drums are just maintaining some type of uh, cohesion, <laughs> right? Uh, something to keep it all together. Whereas, you know, the guitar is kind of experimenting in the background and the vocals are kind of all over the place too, uh, just kind of droning in a sense in the background. And um, anyways, yeah. So, and the drumming is fantastic too. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know. it's really good. It's really good. I found, I found this, um, this interesting, I read this article about kind of the context of the genre when it comes to like kraut rock. And I'm going to read this real quick because I thought this was actually really interesting for the approach of writing this kind of music because it's like i mean we kind of mentioned that kraut rock is this but like what caused it to be that you know mm -hmm. um and so obviously so this is what i read i, I read it was a, it was a, it was a really nice introduction to setting the context so it argued that quote it represents a process in which nations become deterritorialized hybridized and ironically inverted as well as increasingly cosmopolitan communal and imbued with alternate spiritualities so 
I thought this statement was pretty good at embodying what a lot of what these bands were striving for because, you know, well, this is the generation for the most part that came right after the Nazis. You know, so they were trying to reach outside the boundaries of their own country and rejecting Nazism and Anglo culture. So it was mm -hmm. what I wrote down here as a quote is uh, that it was a radical reimagining of society. That was kind of my sum up of that entire thing. <laughs> so I guess that's kind of how we got here. It was just kind of a rejection of, uh, of culture at the time, you know, but yeah, it's really, uh, it's really weird. Obviously, so this, like the approach to this music is really interesting because it doesn't have a very simple structure to follow. You know what I mean? Yeah, or a formulaic one. Right. Yeah, it's just right. It just is kind of drifts and goes place to place, you know, seamlessly. Um, and yeah, I, again, I, jam band is what kind of comes to mind. Is you know, you kind of look at the other members. Oh, all right, now we're gonna go to something yeah. else, right? Just follow my lead. Okay, cool. You know, and you know, like you said, these guys are all phenomenal musicians. They're all trained yeah. very well to where they can do that. They can jump in. I mean, you know, they're speaking their own language, right? But they know it. They know that language. And so they're ready yep. to, to change the conversation musically whenever and however they <laughs> they want to. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. It's one of those things where, you know, progressive rock, we say they typically exhibit a lot of virtuosity on each instrument. This does so in a not obvious way. I Yeah, I, it does. You know what I'm saying? So... So like with other bands, it's 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 pretty clear. You're using, you know, the drummers using odd times signatures. They're they're using quick beats. They're doing sixteenth notes uh, or thirty second notes, and their drum fills just really quick. And uh, you know, you've got a lot of notes crammed in with with like a guitar solo or something like that. A lot of typical rock stuff, and progressive rock does that uh, too. And they have a lot of synthesized sounds and all of that. The typical prog stuff that we, you know, that we cover on here. But this, you know, the drummer maybe kind of exhibits it more than anyone else. But, you know, guitar and keys, they don't really exhibit like a lot of notes or anything. But you can tell that they're incredibly, incredibly well versed on that instrument oh, that yeah. they're playing. So I don't know how to explain it other than that. Uh, it's just kind of a feel that you get because, they're st again, they're still in rhythm, but they're experimenting with weird sounds. Um, yeah. you know, the, in the background, the, the keyboardist is, you know, not typical synthesized notes that are up in the front, like Emerson, Lake and Palmer, where Keith Emerson's banging on the keys and it's just really apparent. Uh, it's kind of in the background, but it yeah. just creates this mood and this atmosphere and you have to be well-versed on your instrument to be able to create that kind of effect well. And they all do. Yeah. I, I agree with you. It's I when I think as I'm thinking about it and you're talking about all of these like they're well versed on these on their instruments and everything. I feel like this this music is musicians' music more so than some of the other things that we've reviewed and listened to on the show. Um, I think this is uh, more 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 so. Now, I mean, people a lot of people say that progressive rock in general is musicians' music, but th I think this one more than others is musicians music because there's a lot of things that if you're not a musician you really don't get it unless and, and the only thing you really do get out of it i believe would just be the mood and you know that kind of floating you, you know you, what you were saying before you know with your analogy of the, the you know the smoke room you know what i mean 
that kind right, of thing. Right, 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 right. But it's it's interesting. I have or, I have a quote here. Sorry, what were you saying? Oh, I was just gonna say, or if you just like unconventional music. You right. Know, whether you're a musician or not, but but if you're just someone who likes something that's very unconventional, or I'd say this: if you need good study music, <laughs> right? Because this kind of has a long droning thing, and the feel is kind of, you know, it's not all over the place. You don't have to. I don't want to say that you don't have to listen actively, because I really like to encourage that for every album we review on here. Yeah. Um, but you you can kind of get lost in it. Um and have it on in the background and you know like there's certain music right. that's really good to study to and i feel like this would be a good a good record to study to yeah if anybody is in need of a study <laughs> record here's a record for you future days yeah. by can <laughs> so i have a i have a quote here from holger zukai which is the bass the bass player and he's a very quotable guy i got a bunch of quotes from him on the idea of can and uh, I, I had i gotta tell you if i didn't find these quotes i would have been really really lost when it came to the 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 like the arrival of some of this music and uh, and you've and we've been talking about jam bands and and talking about how it's just been kind of like a you know it's um very unconventional strong suction song structure excuse me um and so this is this is a quote from him and i thought this was really interesting so this is holger zukai the bass player he said you should not imagine it as jamming aimlessly until someone finds a good idea it was starting with an idea and then playing until it was very concentrated and very disciplined with us listening very carefully to each other, trying to find the nucleus of this idea and focusing more by playing and listening to what the idea is telling us to become in a very strict way. It was really a work of spontaneous, concentrated inventing and composing together because there was nothing written before there was or there was nothing written before there was never one writer or composer. We all did it together. Yeah. So it's it's a concentrated jam session. It's kind of like, all right, let's let's groove around, jam around, and let's just see what happens. And then we find an idea, and it's everybody starts shifting towards that idea. So it's kind of this. It's a weird. It's a weird connection that these band members have to have to be able to pull pull stuff like that off. Oh yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, there, there's got to be a really really good rapport and uh connection there i mean you know you and i i mean we've been playing drums and bass together for what 10 nine years now nine years or something like that yeah yeah and and we mesh pretty you know we mesh together pretty well like yeah you you know what i can you know you know what i can do and i know what you can do and so we can play off of each other that way and i i, I think of it kind of like that except all four of the members are in that same group um Right, which is, which, which is interesting though, because I mean, what did I say before? They were founded in 1968, so they've only been, or they were formed in 1968, so they've only been playing for five years. Right. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting concept. Like that's that's not something that you normally normally hear from a progressive rock band. There's not just an aimlessly jamming until we find an idea and then just roll with it kind of thing. Well, you know? and that alone just kind of speaks to the term experimental rock yes, or experimental exactly. music because exactly. that is the essence of experimentation just let's throw something at the wall see if it sticks and if it does great let's go from there exactly you know, um, yep. so you know not having any vision whatsoever to begin with it's it's very interesting and yeah uh, yeah and i'm sure recording was kind of similar to that i mean 
when he said, do you know when he said nothing was written beforehand, was he talking about like when they were in the studio and they were like going to cut the record? Yes. Yeah. So that, so what I found is that there a lot of tape cutting went into these jams in the studio. So essentially what they would do is they'd all show up, they'd all start playing and then they find an idea all. And all of this is while the, 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 uh, the, you know, the, um, well, the tape is rolling. Oh my God. Yeah. The tape is rolling. Yes, exactly. Um, so they're recording all this stuff. And then they just find something and then they roll with it. And so a lot of this stuff was just kind of improv jam sessions, which they then went back in and been like, okay, let's tweak this up a little bit, tweak this up a little bit. And, you know, they'll have, I think I saw in here at one point, um, they would have two hour jam sessions, two hours. Like that's mentally draining, you know? Oh, absolutely. So they have two hour, these two hour jam sessions and just finding stuff that they were like, oh, this is good. This is good. Let's use this and create a song out of it. And so it's kind of like this, like he said, spontaneous, concentrated inventing and composing. And then right. they would all come together and bring it to the to this structure which, of a song. Right, which is a stark contrast to a lot of the other groups where you can tell they were intentionally trying to do stuff and they wanted a certain sound effect here and they wanted exactly. this here and they went exactly. and they pre-composed all this stuff before they you know, they went into the studio and they had these pieces written and they were long pieces, some of them were epics like we were talking about with yep. like Rush or something like that, right? So a uh, very, very different approach, and uh, yeah, I just I can appreciate that for sure. Yeah, it's really interesting. I got another another Holger Zukat quote here, which which is still on the idea of like the improvising and that whole jamming and everything. He said he had another quote here. He said, "Most of the bands I know that improvise all follow certain patterns. You hear exactly which direction they're going, and it's very consistent." Then they get to a point where they have the chance to destroy everything and develop completely new ideas. But at this exact point, which is so crucial, almost all groups go back to the theme. It's all over right there. What's different about us compared to almost all other bands is that at that point, we keep playing. Yeah, that is interesting. It's really bizarre, right? Yeah. It's, it's a very strange, strange way to write music. And honestly, I mean, it sounds kind of fun to a certain extent, but also, I mean, this sounds exhausting. Like it really does. Like to me, I'm, I'm like, we're gonna sit in a room for two hours and write something and then just see what we come up with with an idea. Like that is, it's mentally exhausting. It well, really is. <laughs> that's, uh, I mean, granted, that's kind of what we do when we, <laughs> but, but that's we true, have more yeah. of a structure. We're like, okay, that works here. This works here, this works right. here, and it's not yeah. like, hey, and let's it's, just groove on this one chord yeah. or this one note or this one rhythm for a while. It's like, no, 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 this is, okay, I want this here. Now I want to change this up where it's like, oh, I could do that, but I need to, you know, I've got a vision, you know, opposite of this, right? This is more like, you know, I'm like, I've got a vision and right. I, I, yeah. I want it to sound a little different than this. So let me play around with this a little bit more. Let me, okay, cool. That's the section. Boom. We've got this section down. All right. The first yep. 10 seconds yeah. is done. All right. Yeah. Let's go on to the next one and exactly. see what we can combine with this. And it's like, okay, yeah. let's see what this does. But it's like, yeah, there's there's no there's no prior right. communication going on or even in between communication, verbal communication right. going on. Right. In, just in these going. jam sessions yeah. with them. So it's it's just go yeah, they're just going, man. It's like Energizer right, Bunny exactly. on ten. Just let's go. It's it's really crazy. But you know, one thing I do like about this stuff though is that the the keys and the use of that electronica stuff is still pretty prominent and very experimental, but it was also what was becoming pretty popular at the time. 
you know, we got a lot of this, uh, uh, like I said, I mean, the stuff like Kraftwerk and Noi and stuff were heavy uh, electro electronic music, and they're still combining these elements in into the music, these weird key sounds and, and stuff like that, which I, which I find to be um, like A plus on their part for for wanting to include that stuff in because i mean it, it takes i mean at 1973 that stuff was not a easy to lug around right and, you know and it's it, you have to be very intentional with the stuff that you're using because you got to know exactly what you're doing so with all those endless keyboard sounds and stuff that you can come up with with all those synthesizers and stuff like it's a lot oh, of it's a lot of work you know so i actually found something that was that was about uh about the keyboard player um let me see if I can find this stuff here. I think he it said it said something about yeah here it is. It said so. Erman Schmidt took a trip to New York City in 1966 and met Steve Reich, Lamont Young, and Terry Riley. These were all minimalist composers at the time. He was also exposed to the uh, Andy Warhol scene, and so uh, Schmidt said to the uh, Schmidt said the trip corrupted him and influenced him to bring rock and roll elements into his very avant-garde style or sensibilities, whatever. Um, this is interesting to me because Krautrock is, you know, like we said, it's extremely German, you know, but with Can, there's certainly some of them Western culture influences. And I was thinking about that and I was like, this has got to be, this has got to partially be a reason why they reached a wider audience and became more prominently known is because of these multicultural elements that were brought into the music um, rather than just that very German Kraut right, rock scene. Right. Yeah, you know no, what I mean? absolutely. So, but it's interesting. I mean, the, the music is, um, my take on it is, uh, there were there certain moments in it where I thought I could appreciate it a little bit more thinking about how it developed and changed and everything. And it's really, that's kind of the mindset I think you need to be in when you're going in and listening to something like this is, can I appreciate this? How I can appreciate this more is imagining that you're sitting in a room where that's being completely improvised before you right. while listening to it. Well, it's difficult to identify certain tracks because there's no iconic discernible melody oh, on hardly any of the instruments on any of these songs. Except for Moonshake. Well, yeah. I mean, and honestly, again, there again, you when know, I think of Moonshake, I think of the rhythm again rather than a melody. You know what I'm saying? So, and it's easier yeah, to, yeah. you know, figure out a song or identify a song when you can sing the melody of it, right? Whether it's the guitar part or the vocals, yeah, you know, exactly. most of the time it's the vocals or something. But, which is weird for me because, you know, you know, I know some people who have told me, they're like, oh, I listened to this record or I listened to this song. I can't remember the name, but I really enjoyed it. And for me, I try to make a point to, to know each song's name. And typically it's not that difficult for me because there's some type of main melody going on and for for some of right, this even though it's only on. four tracks it's not that many tracks every now like and i've heard it a couple times now several times now and i'm like i forget which one this is I mean, <laughs> which which yeah. section are we in yeah, on I which agree. song i agree are we on minute five of spray yeah. or are we on minute eight of future days i mean <laughs> right yeah and just to give the, the the track listing for everybody it's uh it basically just looks like this. Like we said, it was it's four four songs, right? 
And so the the intro track is is Future Days, which sits at a you know nice whopping nine minutes and thirty seconds, which then goes into the second second track being Spray, um, which is sitting at eight minutes and thirty seconds. Then Moonshake, which is only three minutes, which is funny because I was actually looking at a lot of other other uh, a lot of other Cans material, and this is probably one of the most concise songs in their entire career, let alone this album. Um, just sitting at right at three minutes. And then the song that we're listening to right now is called Bel Air, which is 19 minutes and 53 seconds, right under 20 minutes. You know, so it's there's a you're right. I mean, it just kind of like, where are we? What are we listening to? Honestly, this could be one of those things where it was like if it was like like thick as a brick where it was just one song, I'd be okay with that. I'd be like, okay, this is future days. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? But they, they have them separated into these songs that. Um, I, I mean, I I can't I can't list any reason why the the names of these songs are what they are, except for the fact that he says future days and future yeah days. yeah you know um, <laughs> I can't really think of any reason. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's more of like a nar- maybe it's a narrative thing. Um, it's interesting. In fact, I would love to hear somebody's narrative of this album. Um, email us at prognotespodcast at gmail.com. What's the story here? And tell me, tell me what the story is of concept. this record or what the story you can yeah, come that up would with. That would actually be pretty fun. Um, because it's, it's actually, yeah, I, that would be pretty cool to create a nice yeah, little I do, narrative for this. I found something I else. I don't think that it's, sorry, like I said, that? I don't, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there was no, I mean, like he was, there was no real high concept. It was just a jam session. And the lyricist, I think, was just improvising for a large part of it. So there's no there's no high concept here, I don't think, at all. There's no right story, you know, clear-cut story yeah. to really tell here, which is uh, just interesting. Yeah, and, and it's crazy. It's crazy. because and, and don't take, like, for people listening, don't take this the wrong way if you're a massive Can fan. But, like, this album was insanely popular. You know, and I, I like for the popularity that it had, I have no idea why. I really don't because like it's not radio friendly. Um, maybe it was a cultural thing. Maybe it was one of those things where it's like it, the, the the culture of kraut rock, the culture of what they did, made it successful. But like today, or even even in 1975, like two years later, or, or in the 80s, I don't see this being a massive hit as much as it as much as it was. I'm surprised um, how they can create and impressed of how they can create such a big sound with in a minimalist way. There's not. I mean, you listen to each individual instrument, and you're like, yeah. there's not that much instrumentation going on. Here. Yeah, the guitar player kind of. The guitar player kind of reminds me of Steve Howe a little bit hmm. with the way that he plays. It's very, um, very, very riff oriented. But I've always, I've always thought that um, um, Steve Howe just has a very thin. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Not like crazy st- heavy like, distorted. You guitar. know what I'm saying? It's not super. Yes, it's, it's not, not very super thick. crunchy yeah, or yeah. thick. Thick, yes, it's it's very it's the opposite of that. But thin gives it a negative connotation, which is why I was uh, hesitant no, I see to what say that. But I, it's I know not what in a saying. bad way. It's not in a sure. bad way. Yeah, and so he kind of reminds me of that. He has this. I mean, you hear him with him now. It just sounds kind of little like yeah. noodling. Yeah. You know, um, 
I think Steve Howell is a little bit more riff-driven. This is just a, a lot of noodling, honestly, um, which is cool. But but it's I think I think where the the thickness of the music comes from is certainly between the drummer, the bass player, and and the keyboard player for sure. Um, even even though I think I think the keys really fill that space that we're just kind of like what how how does this sound bigger than what it is? Right. To your point. You know, where we're saying it's like you're surprised that it is, but um, I have a I have a funny quote here about about the keyboards um, in Can's music, and uh, this is another Holger Zukai quote, the bass player. He said, he said, you play for the machines in the studio, and the machines really like to listen. They have a heart and a soul. They're living beings. Huh. Like really, really loves keyboard stuff. But he said this, and this is something that I actually, when I read this, I actually agree with him on this. Um, in terms of uh, this type of music, as well as um, progressive rock, I guess, in general, to a certain extent, so to speak. But he said, I love machines, but they should never get the upper hand. <laughs> very, very organic approach. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, But what I love about the music, though, is that like electronica music didn't exist in 1973. You know, like that, that was not a thing. And but... There were electronica instruments, obviously, but unlike electronica bands where all the instrumentation sound very precise and well-engineered, this is just really loose, but sounds also pretty disciplined. Like this sounds more disciplined than the 18 minute version of any Dave Matthews song live. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Which is kind of like, we're just gonna go and do whatever the heck we want to. Right. Um, nothing against Dave Matthews. I love Dave Matthews, but their live stuff is just, a. Some of the songs just last a little too long. I, yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. But it's it's still weird. We're still listening to Bel Air, by the way. We're rocking this entire thing on the show right now. <laughs> I like I like how he keeps the the time. The I like how Jackie keeps the time with that that uh, the foot on the hi hat. Yeah, he's always got that foot going, and it just helps with kind of the the movement of the song. Which I, which I think is which I think is brilliant, but also very jazzy as well, coming from his background. You can definitely it's, tell that. It sounds like they just stuck a microphone in the center of the room, and that was basically it. <laughs> they really did, dude. Uh, like it, it's it, so crazy. Yeah, nothing is up front or in your face. The closest thing I can think of again is the drums. They're they seem just a little bit more. But even then, yeah, but that's because drums are louder. Exactly. Yeah. No. Exactly. <laughs> but it's not. It, yeah. I don't like. I don't hear this, and I'm like, oh, each individual drum you know whether it's the tom or the or the cymbals or whatever is mic'd whereas nowadays in modern recording that's what you do you mic every single thing this sounds like yes. they just use overheads or something yeah or, it's very glenn glenn john's approach uh, or something like that it was just not very minim, minimal mics or something like that i don't have any information about that did you did, did you find anything no. on the way that they recorded this stuff? no it just sounds that way to me and i wouldn't be yeah. surprised if that's how they did it yeah it's really interesting I think the the biggest the biggest takeaway from this record for me is is the uh, the approach that they have and 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 how way they do it as well as the drumming. For me, being a drummer, there are some things that I heard in this. Where I was like, oh, that's really cool, um, and certainly could pick pick something up from him uh, from a, from a drumming perspective. But I think the biggest thing that I got from this, like like I said, was well, not only the approach and everything, but 
attempting to do what they did. Like, I almost find it as a challenge for me. Like, I, I hear it, and I like, what they did. I'm like, huh, I want to try that. I want to see what happens kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, I haven't done it to that extent. Like, we haven't ri- we haven't done a jam session to that extent and just go, and just go with it. You know what I mean? It, it usually, like, we'll spend five minutes doodling around. Somebody will find something, and then everybody will gravitate towards that one thing in a matter of a couple of minutes, and then we'll just start building on top of that you know right it's weird stuff man yeah weird i stuff. do enjoy i it. found another i found another thing about about the record as well um this was one of those albums that are what i call weird after a successful album so they, the album that came out before this is called ege bamyasi i think that's how you pronounce it and uh that had they had two hits on that record being spoon and vitamin c and so they they had a uh, um, they had a, pr- a pretty I mean I think Vitamin C is one of the most successful songs that Can has. It's kind of like the Tom Sawyer of Rush or uh, uh, like the Money of Pink Floyd. I don't know. I mean they're just naming off a couple of like big hits. Right, Hotel California um, by the Eagles. Yes, something like that. And uh, so and and this is the album that released right after that. So it was. It was interesting. It was um, you have a really, really big hit record, and then you release something like this, which is just kind of like, huh? Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, huh? Um, I mean, my voice right now, like, we're talking in a, a much different tone than we normally do on the show. This is a, a little bit more laid back of an episode. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're kind of just letting the music be chill. It's because of this. It's because of this music, man. Yeah, man. it's all about the music, man. Gosh. Yeah, I know. It's about know. the music. It's so. Oh man, I think it's fading out now. Look at that. Mm-hmm. About that, huh? We just went through all 19 minutes of Bel Air. Did we now? I think actually it may not be done. I, I think there's nope. still some more. Nope, it's still it's coming back. Yeah, I think there's still more. You know what? You know what? An album that this kind of reminds me of in terms of like a weird album that came after a successful one. Tusk by Fleetwood Mac. Have you heard that record? I actually have not. Dude, it's it's a weird it's a weird record, but it came right after Rumors. Right, it was the album that came right after Rumors, and it was a. It's it's cool. It's got some weird stuff on it though. Kind of reminds me of this, like this kind of wandery. No, it was no 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 not this kind of wander. Just the i like, just a weird album that came after a successful one. Right. I'd almost I'd almost want to do like some research into that. I almost want to go out and find albums that like weird albums that came out after really really successful ones. That would be interesting. I'm gonna go look that up. Right. I'm gonna go into Google right now. Gosh. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is good. I think it um, it was good to do this on prog notes just to kind of be all encompassing. And part of the reason we did this was because fans and other people had said, "Hey, what what if you did that?" Because uh, well, we yeah. did look online. There, there's there's a yeah, Kraut Rock. Because we did look online, and uh, of course, putting labels on anything is really tricky. What is or what isn't classified as a certain thing is that's tricky and uh however to lend some credibility to this there is uh, a website called progarchives.com and they have it's it's a very good 
centralized collection fantastic of, oh, yeah. of information on what progressive rock is how it evolved um and and you know just a, a history and kind of teaching of a lot of stuff of of this genre and it said that kraut rock is you know they put that as a subgenre of progressive rock uh granted they also they also give the disclaimer hey this is heavily debated not just kraut rock but a lot of the other subgenres they put on there like oh this is also prog rock and this is prog rock you know they have a big list and they say you know all of this can be debated back and forth all day long but we think it merits consideration you know um so anyways just to give some credibility uh to (laughs) of course to to, uh to why we put it on on the show uh well it's interesting because of the uh the consideration of kraut rock being uh progressive rock you know i'm I'm actually gonna look this up i'm gonna look on this is this is progarchives.com and it was i think what it's saying here is like it's a this is interesting. I don't. I don't really consider this typical prog rock. I just don't. It's oh, definitely not typical prog rock no. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if someone were to ask me, like, what's the first term that would come to my head when I hear this music, it would either be ambient music, or yeah, or experimental, which yeah. is very vague. That's a very ambiguous term. Uh, but that's what I. That's what I would say. That's what it sounds like to me. Or jam. Well, session. here's here's a good question. Here's a good question for you. What what do you think kraut rock added to the progressive rock genre? Mm, that is a good question. What do you think it added? Because I'm reading I'm reading on this right here. This is this is a quote from the progr- from progarchives.com. Phenomenal website if you really want to dive into some deep deep history um, and the subgenres. It says the most consistent years of the kraut rock scene cover a relatively short period of time from 1970 to 1975 hence probably why i never heard of it until somebody told me about it but after their first spontaneous hyperactive and psychedelic efforts the bands generally split up or declined into other musical sensibilities more in line with mainstream rock or with ambient soundscapes thought that was pretty interesting just from the the bands that were uh in the into the kraut rock musical structures and stuff like that kind of went in the different direction so it didn't last very i mean five years is that's like nothing well i think i think what they added was kind of an emphasis on ambience uh on this yeah like big sound which again dark side came out the same year and pink floyd was already kind of doing psychedelic ambient stuff stuff that was just very voluminous music that just filled up the whole space that puts you in a completely different enclosed world. Um, and I think this expanded upon that. Uh, it was, you know, they mentioned on this website too, the type of moods that this psychedelic kraut rock music would, uh, would evoke this, this moods of, or instill this kind of drones, they say melancholic, lugubrious atmospheres, long convoluted collective improvisations um yeah they, they hallucinatory ballads is what they say it's spacey it's dark hmm. it's it's nocturnal all this stuff so it's kind of it reminds me of pink floyd that's the closest like typical prog rock band or i wouldn't say typical but you know one of the more iconic of the prog rock groups uh yeah. it, it, they seem yeah. to be more like them 
than any of the others. Um, what I what I find interesting as well is that like the the progressive rock scene, or at least in 1973. I mean, hold on, let me think. Like we had Dark Side of the Moon was released by Pink Floyd, 1973. Um, let's see here, Houses of the Holy, Led Zeppelin yeah. was released in 1973. Yeah, which I'm sure some people uh, will I mean, fight against the fact that Led Zeppelin is hard rock and not prog rock. But that's a completely different. Right. Yeah. But but I'm I'm talking about the music scene, I guess, in like the the oh, UK right, area. Right. You, you know right. what I mean? Uh, oh, Selling England by the Pound, an yep. episode that we that we did earlier was released in 1973. Brain salad surgery. Lark's tongues and yeah, Lark's tongue and aspic, King Crimson. Yeah, brain um, it's by crazy Palmer came out that same year. Yeah, that was that was there too. Um, it's interesting to me because yeah, like, brain salad surgery. This is, this is brain happening. surgery came out that same year too. Oh shit! Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my man. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Get... Did you know that Dark Side came out that same year, dude? I think Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin was. Um, it came out that year. I think it came out that year. Hold on, Google. Hey Siri. <laughs> I hate us. But either way, either way, either way, my point being is what I was what I was trying to make my point here is that being geographically extremely close, they sound polar opposite of each other or sound like polar opposites of each other. Like we're we're in we're Germany at this moment, Cologne. Um I'm assuming that they're still in Cologne at this time. But then just you know neighbors to the UK scene, we got a lot of this other stuff going on. I find that to be interesting if like ge- they're geographically so close, but just two totally different scenes that were happening, and um, and I think that the UK when when if we're thinking about the the over scheme of progressive rock, I think the UK really soaked up the biggest and most mainstream, uh, I guess popularity of progressive rock, and that's kind of what we obviously identify progressive rock as with bands like that, like King Crimson, Genesis, and. Uh, you know, other bands, you know, Pink Floyd, whatever. Um, but there was also another scene that was going on at the time that was still considered quote unquote progressive rock, but I would say more underground progressive rock, not like progressive rock's already underground enough, but we're already getting, we're, we're going down to a different area, to a different geographical location of what was going on in 1973 and in, in the early 1970s in Germany when they were like, this is our version of progressive rock, except we call it kraut rock. Right. You know, that's uh, that's interesting to me. And also, and definitely worth talking about because it all follows, falls underneath the umbrella of progressive rock. I like that. I like that you say this is our version of progressive rock. Still maintaining that it is progressive rock, but this is our version of it because they did want to yeah. expand and they did want to experiment, add sound effects in there. And they did want to, you know, see what other ambient sounds that they could create and other different worlds they could transport you to. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I Absolutely. like that. And that fact that people call it cosmic is yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Cosmic music. Yeah. I, I, which was, which is funny because that was coined by British press, like the UK, the Brits coined that phrase. Wh- which one? Co- uh, cosmic music. Yeah. I think they also, it was, I think it was a UK writer who called it kraut rock, which at first was honestly a kind of derogatory term. Right. Um, I mean, you know, I don't, I mean, it is a kind of a derogatory term. I think it it has been embraced. Um, Here, let me see. Uh, Blah, blah. I'm reading real quick. Um, Yeah. This will be our last thought. Positions tended to reject the name Krautrock um, at first. Um, Uh, That's that's not, that's nothing that's uh, uncommon, though. I mean, a lot of the guys that were 
uh, in the early progressive rock days also said that as well. It was like, we're, we're, we're just, we don't, we never, we weren't in the intentions, not most of them, but we weren't in the intentions of writing quote progressive rock music. We were just writing music, you know, I'm, right. I'm sure that they probably have the same argument over there as well. I think it's, it's known as like kraut rock now. And it's, I guess, fine to say it now. The term lost its stigma after the music gained success in Britain. But huh. at first it was offensive because it is offensive. Like you don't, I mean, it's, it's an ethnic slur to call a German person a kraut. You don't do that. Right. You, that's, that's offensive to them, you know, cause it comes from, you know, it's like calling a, a British person a limey or a French person, a frog. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an, a stereotype to yeah. that country Interesting. and calling them and diminishing them to, you know, one term like sauerkraut. That's why they call them that. I'm pretty sure. Cause right. that was, you know, it's a famous, famous, wow, famous food to eat in, in German. That's a, it's a popular thing in Germany to eat. Is it a famous food? Famous food. Yeah. It was I knew you were going to call me on that. I'm sorry. That was but, funny though. But, uh, but yeah, you don't do that. And so at first, of course, it's like you're calling this kraut rock. That's offensive just cause we're from Germany and all that stuff. But I think once it gained, enough appeal that people actually like even Germans were like, Oh, okay, cool. That's what this is now. Like that's, that's fine with us, I think. And if I'm wrong, anyone who's listening, especially if you're German, please correct me. Cause I don't want to be offensive in any way, but this is just the brief research that I've done on this. But yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um, it's, cool and stuff. you know, it's, it's, it, it's interesting because I have a feeling that they were still trying to figure out, their identity, even though it had already been 30 plus years, but still trying to figure out their identity as a non-Nazi country. Right. As, well, yeah. As, I mean, it was, it was the rejection of the Nazism at that time. I mean, this generation came right after the Nazis, you know? Well, and, and, you know, you think about it, what was Germany was no longer because even at this time, there was West and East Germany. That's correct. Yeah, you're and right. And so you've got For about another decade divided, too. Yeah, you've got this divided country and, you know, now half of it is in the Soviet camp. Half of it is in, you know, is a, is a communist state. Right. So, and the Western half is not and all that. So, you know, you've got a lot of different influences and, and something that I, I learned while I was studying film in college is, you know, I think people hardly ever think of this when they think of Germany. But when you, they had to rebuild because a lot of the devastation that happened on their, so on their soil, right? True. And yep. so they got a lot of outside labor from a lot of states that were Arabian, a lot of countries hmm. in the Middle East, a lot of migrant workers came there and their influence got in there. And then there was this whole thing. There's, there was a lot of racism and xenophobia against the Germans to uh, a lot of the Arabs that came there to help them rebuild. Um, you know, and there's a lot of political commentary that can be said on that. But all that said, without me giving too much history and too much input or anything like that, is that had to have played an effect, I think, in their music. This this is part of their culture now, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Yes. Is, you know, um, so yeah. I, I'd be interested to, to, to learn about that a little bit more, too. I didn't do too much research into that, but thinking about... Yeah you know, your identity as a country or other countries influence on native Germany, et cetera, et cetera. How did that, did that factor in? Did it not, yeah. you know? Well, I, I have, have, I have a quote. I might, I might have, I might have an answer for you um, from, from Erman Schmidt, which is a keyboard, the keyboard player. I have a, I have a quote here and this will probably be our last, our last thought here before we wrap it up. Um, but it, it said here, Erman Schmidt said this, it says, we come from a generation 
that was beginning to notice Art was standing in a pile of rubble in a country whose entire culture looked like the cities, destroyed and discontinued. Right. You know, describing where they were and what they were coming from in their in their in their culture and their I mean their political climate everything, and so um, you know it's 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 this it was interesting it's it's massive rejection of that. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Well, hey, thank you guys. Thank everybody for listening to this episode. These are our prog notes for future days by Can. If you enjoyed the episode, learned something new from the episode, please email us at prognotespodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you learned. Also, please send us a narrative. I want to hear these narratives. Don't I, That sounds really interesting to me, a narrative of future days. Um, <laughs> and the name has to co- like correlate with the narrative. Like it, can't just, it can't just be something random. Like future days needs to correlate with the title of it. That would be, that'd be really cool. And uh, so email us at prognotespodcast at gmail.com. And follow us on Instagram at prog underscore notes. So, Drew, we have some interesting news for our next episode. Why don't you tell everybody what's going on? Yeah. Uh, so we – and actually, you might have a bit more information than I do. Um, I can fill in if you need you've to. Been, you've been the point of contact for most of this. Well, That's we true. got an email uh, from a Chilean group. They're a progressive rock group saying, hey, we're, we're a modern prog rock group. We enjoy what you do. We were wondering if you could interview us on your next episode and talk about one of our albums. And we were like, absolutely. That is so incredibly cool. Oh yeah. Uh, so we're super it's stoked gonna be to awesome. do that. The group it's is gonna called, be a different episode. It is. It's gonna be different. And we're not gonna typically review like we do. In fact, like I just said, it's gonna be more of an interview and we're gonna talk more about their their music and uh, you know, we'll talk obviously about progressive rock. Um <laughs> and, of course, you know, their how they got involved and, and why they do what they do and how they write and all that stuff. But uh, the group is called Isles, A-I-S-L-E-S. And uh, the album we'll be reviewing by them is called Hawaii. Um, so yeah. it's, it's going to be very, very interesting. You know, we, gonna we haven't new. met them. We haven't met it's them. Gonna be, yeah, it's going to be really new. Um, I'm, I'm super excited. It's going to be a different episode, but uh, hopefully we will be able to bring some value um, to the record, which we both have heard, and uh, we believe that everybody's going to really enjoy it. It's, it's, I it's think definitely the only, th- the, the, the only, oh, absolutely. The only, uh, the only thing I'll leave it as it is, uh, it's, it's what I like to call a standing on the edge. This music is, um, so it's, it's pretty cool, but I'm, I'm super excited. Um, you have any final thoughts before we end this off, Drew? No, no, no. I think we wrapped awesome. it all up. All right. Thank you guys so much. Join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of prog rock. Uh, obviously, with our next episode is going to be the present of prog rock. Ha ha. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, you're supposed uh, to laugh at that, Drew. Uh, uh, sorry. Whoa, man. That's weird. All right. We're going to end this episode with the song that we started with called Moonshake. Probably my personal favorite, the most concise song in the track, but hope you guys enjoy. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks. Thanks.